Hello and welcome to the Oslo Raw podcast with me, Tiril Refsum, the founder and owner of Scandinavia's leading plant-based cafe chain and wellness concept Oslo Raw, which is all about pleasure and finding happiness in the smallest of things. And of course, eat a lot of raw chocolate cake. This show is all about how we can live our life to the fullest, how to build our dreams and how to take care of our health. I invite in inspiring people who share their challenges, life stories and ideas with us. We talk about business, career, wellness and how to optimize yourself and serve the world. Today I have the pleasure of talking with Dr. Tara Swart. She is a neuroscientist, a medical doctor, executive advisor, senior lecturer at MIT Sloan and author of the bestseller The Source, which has translations in 36 languages. Today we talk about her way to the source, why gut bacteria matters and how we can use our brain power to enhance our chances of success. She shares her personal stories on how law of attraction works, why she uses action boards and how to find a spark in dark times. She gives her best tips to reduce stress, how to retrain our brain and how to incorporate this in leadership. Enjoy! thing they're doing on zoom now telling you and it's been <laughs> um should i put my video off for you decide i like to see you okay if you feel comfortable with that yeah i just don't want you to use the video because i haven't even washed my oh, hair no, and i just no. put it I, this, the podcast. this is the podcast okay yeah, so we'll just um go in and feel feel <laughs> all right Absolutely. And I just want to make sure I can I say your name properly. Is it Tyrell? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a very you know we you know you, you know Danish. Um, not really anymore. I did have lessons, but because I had a Danish boyfriend for a while. But then... <laughs> want all the Scandinavian details? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, we, in Norway we say Tyrell. Tyrell. Yeah. yeah. The only name I can't say properly, and everyone laughs at me, is when I try to say Knut, because I can't say the C and the N oh, as one yeah. thing. But that's not too bad. Not too bad. Perfect. So thank you so much for uh, joining the Oslo Raw podcast, Tara. It's a total pleasure. I have a very, very soft spot for Oslo, which we'll discuss. So it's a, it's a dream come true for me. Oh, good for us. We are excited Norwegians, you know. <laughs> We have so much to learn from you. You're such an interesting woman with such a story. And you've been through so many layers that I would love us to hear because it can support us in our processes because it is a very stressful time, as we know. I mean, many of us are chronic, chronically stressed and we don't even know that it is stress. It's just this turmoil that is um, tearing on our nervous system. Yeah. And where, I, where are we going? What's happening next? You know, are the cafe closing? Is my business working? All these questions. And even with relationships, things are changing. Mm. And I know you have been through so many stages, but what was the turning point when you started to maybe discover a new path that actually ended up bringing your spark back? Yeah, it's so it's interesting like there's definitely something about you that's so perceptive because 
I usually have a straight answer for that. But now I feel like looking back, I usually say all the threads make sense when you look back and you, you, know, you see what you're doing now. But it's probably a period of about two years where there was an overlap of several things. So the backstory is that my parents emigrated from India to the UK and I was born in the UK. And in Indian culture, everybody wants their child to be a doctor or a lawyer. So <laughs> I was the first child. And basically from the age of two, they were always, they were already calling me Dr. Tara and saying, you're going to be a doctor when you grow up. And I was good at maths and science. So that seemed okay. But now what I see looking back is that, you know, I was good at languages. I was good at history and geography. Um, so, so that path was very much made for me. I didn't really have much time to think, what do I like feel really passionate about? And if I just study a subject that I love, then I can do well in life later in anything. Um, but you know, it was really important to my parents to, for me to have security and stability and being a doctor also meant that. And I did massively blossom at medical school. I loved it. Um, and I, you know, I did very well academically. And I also did a PhD in neuroscience because I thought I was going to be a neurologist. But then I became a psychiatrist. I was very fascinated by the way people think. And, you know, given what you've just said about the state of turmoil in the world at the moment, how external events or even like what's going on in your own brain chemistry can change so much for you, like what you see, what you hear, how, you know, how your mood is and everything. And I really, really cared for my patients. But after about five years of being a psychiatrist, and I did that for seven years, so that this is the two year period of kind of inner turmoil for me, I started feeling like every patient I saw, I knew what was wrong with them, you know, sort of straight away, and that psychiatry wasn't really going to change that much in the next 40 years or however long my career would be. And so I wasn't getting the intellectual stimulation. Also, I was working with people who were in the lowest socioeconomic class, they lost their jobs because of their mental illness, they got rejected by their families, they, um, <clears throat> they couldn't sustain relationships, sometimes their children were taken away from them. And it just felt like it was very negative and the best I could do for them was just to let them have some sort of normal life. And I felt like there must be something more out there that I can do that also has a trickle down effect from, you know, whether it's top leaders or companies that benefits all of society so that what I'm doing with each hour of my day has, you know, greater impact. And so I started reading about coaching. A friend introduced me to the idea. It seemed to have like the psychological skills, also a sort of a Zen aspect, but, but very goal orientated, all things that really suited my personality. Um, and actually my husband at the time, my first husband, his uncle was an entrepreneur in South Africa. He had a Norwegian business partner actually. And he said to me, make a list of a hundred things that you could do instead of being a doctor. And when you get to a hundred, there'll be one thing on that list that you can actually do. And, you know, I had things like become a yoga teacher, um, have a textiles business, you know, it was very, very varied. But the coaching became the one thing that I thought, yeah, I could actually do that. I could be good at it. I could make a living from it. Um, and so I had to get into that mindset of convincing myself that I could do that. And of course, I got a lot of pushback from people. Like, Why would you give up being a doctor to become a coach? And so I had to defend myself in a way. So I started 
giving the explanation like I've given you, I think it could have greater impact. I think I could be more intellectually stimulated by that. And what I didn't really realize, there were obviously other factors as well, but my husband was also a psychiatrist. And the more I said, this is why I think this is better. This is how well I think I could do. It started to make him feel like I was saying that what we did now wasn't really good enough and I wanted more. And um, so it led, you know, not that, but a series of things or a variety of things led to the end of our marriage, which had, you know, it was a relationship of, of over a decade. So I suddenly found myself in my mid thirties, no longer a doctor, no longer married. We'd been living abroad. So I came back to the UK. Um, I had to live with my parents. I had to live with my friend's parents. I, you know, it was a very, very hard time of my life. And that, you know, what you've asked is that I sort of, there were definitely times where I thought, I can't, I can't do this. I can't pay my rent. I, you know, I can't carry on on my own. I don't know who I am because I'm not that person's wife. I'm not, you know, that person's junior doctor. And, um, but suddenly I just got this realization of how determined I am. I realized a level of determination I'd never realized before. I hadn't had to, I'd had quite an easy life by then. You know, I got to medical school, become a doctor, got married, traveled a lot and things, um, but not yet to Scandinavia. Um, so, and, and I had really good friends around me who said, we know that you can do, you'll make a huge success of anything that you put your mind to. And even though I sort of, was afraid that that might not be true. I held on to those things that people said to me. I had a friend who had always been a freelance TV. She's actually half Swedish. I have a lot of half Scandinavian friends. I think that English men find Scandinavian women very beautiful. <laughs> um, and she said, work always turns up. You know, and I'd gone from having a regular salary from the NHS, not a high one, but a very regular one. And the thought of being freelance terrified me, but I just kept thinking that work always turns up, work will always turn up. So I guess I was doing mantras without even really realizing it. Wow. So you kind of started to coach yourself in a way. You started to re reconstruct your brain. So how do you do that? Like for us, for many of us, I'm right in the middle of something that is quite difficult right now in my life. And many people are feeling quite stuck and lost. So how do we move from that to creating a dream life? Actually, is it possible? And it seems so impossible, you know, when you're in the darkness, you, yeah. it seems like, how can I even start? And you have so many tools I think, you know, there was a bit of luck involved as well, but doing a coaching course, because that's, there's a lot of, you know, psychological tools in that and you have to coach each other. So that was happening at the time that the rest of my life was falling apart. Um, that was helpful. And I became very interested in both psychological and spiritual texts. So I was reading a lot of Jungian psychology and he talks a lot about um, the midlife passage and individuating as a, you know, the person that you're meant to be, the person that you are truly on your own, you know, not as part of a partnership or um, the status of a job title or anything like that. And also a lot of Buddhist literature. Um, you know, my, my background is Hindu, but Buddhism and Hindu are quite similar. There's a lot of overlap. So those were the two things that I was reading a lot. 
And I'd actually previously read a book. My same, the same half Swedish friend had said that she and her father had read a book called The Master Key System, and it was amazing. And I had to read it. And that was a few years earlier when I was about 30, living in Australia, about to travel around the world. And I read it and I thought it was great. It was about the power of your mind. It made sense to me as a psychiatrist, but it had been released as a weekly newspaper column. And it had like a mental exercise that you had to do at the end of each week. But I didn't do the exercises because I, I felt like, you know, I was happy. I didn't really need to. And suddenly I remembered this book. And this was actually a couple of years later, but um, I did all the exercises and I did them truly with my heart for six months. And at the end of it, and I, you know, it's almost like I could tell you what the insight was at the end, but it won't be the same if you don't go through the process yourself but it gave me a very, very strong belief that what I think about and put my mind to, I can make those things come true in the real world, not by magic, but by my action and my hard work and my efforts and who I connect with and things like that. But there almost is a magical element to it because that level of self-belief is very different to what most of us walk around with. And particularly if you've had a relationship breakdown or you've changed status in your career and you've kind of gone from being quite senior to being like nothing and no one with no stability that has quite a bad effect on you. And, you know, I'm sure I feel very fortunate because I think there are people, well, I know having been a psychiatrist that there are people who get to that point and they break down. They literally cannot continue. Um, I think for many reasons, you know, the resilience that I must have built up during my childhood and also my extremely privileged education, medical school, neuroscience, PhD, that thankfully I was able to, you know, from that lowest point, far exceed what, you know, I had been, how I'd been living before and, or what I ever thought I could do. I mean, we'll get to the things that have happened since then, but um, yeah, it's pretty incredible. So also the other thing that I started doing about 12 or 13 years ago is making, you know, what I've now written about in my book, The Source, these action boards. And again, I call them action boards, even though they're just a vision board like you would know about, because I'm very, very clear that you can't just create a fantasy collage and sit at home and wait for it to come true. You must be out there networking, dating, you know, whatever it is that you, you want to do. Um, <clears throat> But with, you know, I think dating is an interesting one because a string of bad experiences can also push you down and you've got to make sure that it's always, you know, with that level of self-belief about yourself that you're not tolerating anything less than what you deserve and, you know, that you keep building yourself through these experiences. Um, so, so this is the start of my connection to Norway is that my ex, by then ex-husband's uncle, who was like my father-in-law because my father-in-law had actually passed away um, before we got married, he had this Norwegian business partner. So he wrote, I said, you know, I'm starting up this business, but I'm really struggling to get clients. I don't have any business background like everyone else. Um, I've made some good connections with headhunters in the UK, but you know, I, basically I need help. So he wrote to his Norwegian business partner and said, my niece has just started up a coaching business. Please, could you help her in Europe? And so he introduced me to these two guys who run a headhunting business in um, Oslo, Norway. Can I give them a shout out? They've been so kind to me. Of course. Um, it's called Balsenso. It's amazing to you guys. And so um, basically 
um, Jan Frederick was coming to London with his wife for a, a very rare showing of some monk etchings. And he said, would you like to come and meet me and my wife for breakfast? So I went and met them. They were very jovial and lovely. And they said, would you like to come to this art gallery opening tomorrow? And I felt like, you know, if I'm going to work with these people, I should make every effort to like go to things and, you know, find out more about their art and their culture. I love, I think art is such a good way to find out about cultures. So I was very lucky, you know, I love, I'm obsessed with the scream because of all the emotion, you know, the neuroscience behind it, but to see these drawings and these never seen before versions of it was just incredible. But I'll tell you what hit me the most. I walked into this art gallery and for people who can't see me on the podcast, I'm very petite and have brown skin, brown hair and um, brown eyes. And literally I saw everyone in the room turn and look at me and everyone was about six foot five with these piercing turquoise eyes. And I was a bit like, oh my goodness. And then Jan Frederick came and rescued me and he introduced me to this lovely family, the Ask Henriksons, and I've become like best friends with the two daughters, Trina and Lilo. Um, Lilo lives in London now, actually next door to me, which is a complete coincidence, um, and thinks that her family lived next door to your grandmother in German, so, you know, oh, so connected. Um, and then they basically, Jan Frederick said, you know, we should have a conference call with our chairman, Ole Torbjorn. And when we were on this call, um, they made a joke about when they were in the army, they walked around naked in minus 30 degrees or something. And I was like, oh my goodness, like I can't work with these people. <laughs> um, but then I, I, I think, I can't remember now if I met them in London first or Oslo first, but anyway, it's been a part, I'm, I'm the head of the UK Bell Senso, I'm the head of coaching. It's been, they are some of my best friends. Mm. Um, and later this lady called Tova joined and, you know, she's been over and, and stayed with us and um, yeah, it's been a wonderful friendship and work partnership. And so what happened there is that where I was charging fees as a start out coach in the UK, um, just because of the economy and like I worked in the oil and banking business in, the Nor in Norway, I, I was able to charge much higher fees. And, and that's actually how I survived and started my business. Um, I don't do that much in-person work in Norway anymore, but I did for a good 10 years. So, um, and, and I, you know, I remember once I was in the airport in the lounge and they just, one company had just announced that the CFO was being made the CEO. And I saw him in the lounge. So I went up to him and I said, you know, I've seen you speak because I've done speeches at your company and, you know, you even made numbers sound inspiring and I'm so glad you're becoming the CEO. Um, and he said, he gave me his card and said, come and, you know, come and see me when we're both in London and then took me on as his coach. So, you know, it was a naturally generative, just, just great relationship for me with, with all the work that I've done, done in Oslo. And I've had like some really good meals there as well. I always get very well looked after when I'm there. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so, you know, I haven't really shared that before because um, I haven't done a podcast in Norway before, but that there's, you know, I feel a very, very strong connection to Norway. Um, I don't want to sort of spoil the story, but I have, you know, I, I met my new husband in very magical circumstances and I've taken him to Norway and he's met all of my um, friends there and everything. So, yeah. 
So you really take an action. That's the thing. Because many, you know, law of attraction, that's actually what you're talking about. But that is a, that uh, concept is kind of used up. You, it has so many prejudices around it. It's like, mm. sit and meditate and it will come. And I guess some rare people may make that work, you know, in Tibet or something and they get everything they want. But I believe most of us, uh, we need to add on some action you know yeah I think it definitely starts with action because what that shows you is that if I take healthy risks if I put myself out there I can make things happen but you know let me now share with you the story of of meeting my husband because I think there is also an element to it where you become so open and abundant that things happen to you that actually you haven't necessarily directly um, you know done an action for so I started putting on the number for the amount of money that I wanted to earn that doubled each year for the first three years that I was doing action boards. And I, I, I wanted to sort of, you know, I said, well, this is how much money I need to live. And my friend who was coaching me with the action board said, you should double that amount. You know, it shouldn't be how much I need to live. It should be like, you know, can I kind of, you know, make more than I think. And I said, look, that's just, it's ridiculous. Like it's, it's impossible. Um, maybe I should make it like, a bit more, but not as much as you're saying. And she was like, no, no, you should double it. So I did. And by the next year, I'd made that amount of money that I said was impossible. And then that kept growing. And in the end, I just had symbols of abundance. I didn't put a number on it anymore because it just seemed like actually in a way, maybe I could limit myself if I kept saying what the number should be when actually maybe it could be bigger. Um, I had lots of goals for countries that I wanted to work in and countries that I wanted to travel to on vacations and things. Um, one of the small stories is that I had seen a, pic a sort of cartoon picture of a kind of, um, you know, sort of olive skinned girl snorkeling. And I loved it because it looked like me. So I put that on my action board one year. And my best friend lives in Australia because I had lived and worked there previously when I was married before. And we used to meet up for a girl's holiday once a year in the winter. And because we were like on the other side of the world from each other, we'd kind of try to choose somewhere like in between like Asia, Africa, South America. Um, and then it got to about October and I said, look, we really need to book these flights now. And I said, I've got so many points because I'm traveling so much for work. Let me see if there's a location that I can get a free flight to and that can help us make our decision. So I'd left it a bit late for the free flights. I went on to British Airways and the only flight that I could get for the dates we wanted was to Rio de Janeiro. And suddenly I had this like thought in my mind and I went and looked closely at my, my action board and underneath that girl snorkeling in tiny letters, it said Rio de Janeiro, but I hadn't been conscious of that. And I couldn't make up the fact that that was the only flight that was available. Um, so that was one thing, but then fast forward quite a few years. So we get to 2015. I, I had got this insight that I was using work and travel and being busy to really escape from the fact that I hadn't really um, healed my broken heart and that I had this narrative in my head that was if, was if I never get married again, I can never be that hurt again. And that's the best way to protect myself. So I then started to realize that's not really living a whole life. That's not good enough. And if I have been able to create so much magic through my beliefs with my work, 
you know, by this time I was lecturing at MIT, you know, the best university in the world and just so many amazing things were happening with my career. I should be able to do this with my personal life. And so for, tw for the year 2015, I put a tiny heart on my action board, but the rest was all like travel and work. So nothing happened. Actually, my friend who's the professor of neuroscience in London said to me, you were supposed to find husband number two this year and you haven't, so your vision boards don't work. And uh, um, so I thought, okay, this time I'm really, really gonna go for it. I'm like, just, okay. So I'm reading the Financial Times and there's an advert there and it's, the advert is this massive engagement ring. So I thought, okay, I'll put that on my vision board. Put it on the top left, you know, your heart's on your left. And then as I was flicking through magazines, I never usually put words on my vision board, but I just saw this phrase, I loved it. Um, it was interesting, it was also a jewelry advert, but the phrase was, joy comes out of the blue. And I just, I was so drawn to it, I can't explain why. I put that on the top center of my vision board. And then there's, there were quite a few housey things because I was living in a very small apartment. I wanted a bit more room to like spend time with my friends and maybe some outdoor space. Um, I'm really into conservation. So there was a tiger and a rhino at the bottom and some other things. Um, so I made that board in December, 2015. And on the 2nd of February, 2016, I was on a flight from Johannesburg back to London. And the person that was in the seat next to me is now my husband. <laughs> um, and we got engaged later that year. So that, you know, the ring thing came true for that year. Partly, you know, what I think of that story is that there is a patience element to manifestation. And you were talking about, you know, when you're in that dark period, how do you believe that anything's really going to get so much better? I've definitely seen that not everything comes true in that, in that year necessarily. You have to understand that you have to do the things to make as many of those things come true as possible. That accumulates your sort of um, ability to draw good things into your life. But sometimes it might take 18 months or it might, you know, take longer. Um, and that has to be okay. And, and then also that I leave a lot of space on my boards now because what I've learned is that something amazing could happen I haven't thought of and I need to leave space for that. I can't try to control everything. I, I must be open to other things happening that, you know, could be really good. Because um, you don't want to become too tunnel vision and your, you know, what opportunities you're looking for. Um, so, and, and, you know, in the book, I write about the laws of attraction, but backed up by neuroscience. And it's basically about abundant thinking, manifesting the things that you want into your life through your own actions, magnetic desire, which is that your head, heart and gut are aligned that, with, that this is what you truly want. This is your reason to be on the planet. Not, I want a big house because everyone else has got one. I want to find a partner because all my friends are getting married and having babies and I'm afraid I'll get left behind. It's got to be, you know, your, your really strong desire and motivation. And then there's patience, which is that part about, you know, not, if things don't happen straight away, don't give up. Um, I love that image of the person who's digging for gold and he's been digging for a long time. And then you can see, we can see that the gold is just a few, you know, sort of meters away, but he gives up. That image is very strong in my mind when I feel like nothing's working and, you know, I should just give up on this. So I don't, I don't tend to give up on things at all. Um, and then, and, and also the patience part is because 
what the way that I'm talking about the laws of attraction is that you are changing your brain. You are increasing your confidence, your self-esteem, your, you know, willingness to go out there and ask for things that you wouldn't have before. And, and that's physical work that's going on in your brain, changing your pathways. And that takes time. The best analogy is, is learning a language. And I'll give you, you know, my example of that is that well, in, in between husbands, I had a Danish boyfriend for a while. And because I was working in Norway and Sweden, um, I thought I should learn a Nordic language. I, I, was, I already um, spoke four languages. So a bit stupidly, I thought I'll pick the hardest one. So I picked Danish. I should have just picked Swedish because I think it would have been easier. And then I could have used it more in Norway as well. Um, so I got a teacher. I had lessons every week. They were 90 minute lessons. And because learning and changing your brain pathways is really, it's physical work. It's not just psychological. In the first lesson, after about an hour, I was so tired and so hungry that I started taking snacks with me to the lesson because I couldn't, you know, I needed to refuel my brain. And so I had about, I think, eight lessons. Then we went to Copenhagen for a you know, short time over the summer. And then I came back and I had a lesson and after what seemed, you know, the time flew by and then she said, okay, well, we're done for today. And, and I said, was that 90 minutes already? But I didn't feel hungry or tired or anything. And I thought that's the tipping point in my brain. You know, I now have a pathway for Danish. It's not that difficult anymore. Um, and as a neuroscientist, it was incredible to actually physically see that difference. And it's exactly the same for anything else in your life, like believing that you can have a wonderful relationship believing that you can keep your cafe going, even though there's so much uncertainty with the pandemic and everything. Um, so yeah, that's what I've learned. The analogy of learning a language actually applies to anything, even if it's very intangible, like becoming intuitive or more emotionally intelligent. Um, and I also want to say, I don't, I think, you know, I want to say this specifically to you because you run a raw cafe, that mastication, which is the act of chewing hard food, actually um, improves the plasticity of the brain. And so, you know, one of the things I'm really against is the fact that in like old, old age homes, people are given soft food because it's easier. It's actually like, it can prevent um, symptoms of dementia if you're chewing harder food all the time. So it's, wow. in, you know, it's incredible. Yeah, that actually, literally the action of your jaw has an impact on the brain cells that are around that area. Wow. So that's like the um, start of the digestion. It's like you start to chew, you know, and it, it's getting an effect on the brain immediately. And then mm. I'm thinking about food, you know, and sometimes when we wake up, these are two things I'm trying to say here, but when we wake up, sometimes we're feeling a bit sad or uh, I hear many people say that like, ah, oh, mm, you know, this mm, feeling. So how one thing is, is to fuel up, you know, with good foods and stuff, but how, when you wake up and you feel a little bit sad, so how much is it, uh, should we like sulk and dive into the problems and how much should we, uh, say, okay, start to reinforcing good thoughts. And is it then like putting away things we should feel, you know? I want to come back to the food stuff later, but these are like one, you know, mm, our gut, yeah, yeah. bacteria, brain, everything and mood. But mm. how, 
how shall we balance, you know, digging up old stuff, talking about problems, allowing shit to come up and then also not thinking too much about it. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's an interesting balance. And I think maybe that we each have to come to a right understanding of ourselves. So a lot of what you and I both, you know, speak about is self-knowledge. That is the tool for everything. Um, But as a generalization, the reason that we often feel, wake up feeling a bit like not really great is, is dehydration. So the first thing I do is drink a tall glass of water the minute I wake up. Um, And then I stay in bed for some time. And I was thinking about this because somebody else, I was on another podcast where they ask what you do for the first hour of your day. And I was saying that I do a lot of thinking, breathing, stretching, you know, maybe meditating or like um, if I've got a coaching exercise going on at the moment, I might sort of think about that first thing. And, and she said to me, well, what if you have negative thoughts or anxious thoughts? And I said, but I don't. And she said, but what if you, you know, for people that do, and what I've realized is that, because this morning I actually did it on purpose. I thought about the things that I'm most worried about in my life. And I realized that I'm doing open monitoring of my thoughts. And that is having those thoughts, but not attaching an emotion to them. So even though I purposely picked up, you know, the things that I'm most anxious about, I was completely calm. And you know, I have been doing yoga for, for 18 years, I think, and I've been practicing meditation for quite a few years. I now kind of don't really do formal meditation, but I live more mindfully. And apparently that is the evolution of, of mindfulness, which is that it starts off as separate in your life. Like, you know, you sit down for 12 minutes and you meditate, and then later it just becomes part of your life. So for example, I do mindful eating, and we can talk about that, that later when we talk about food. And I actually thought, wow, I have trained myself to think about the thing that's making me most sad at the moment and not, and, and not feel terrified, angry, you know, desperate. And, and, you know, I was that person when I was in my 20s. So this is not like I'm just like Yoda or anything like that at all. Um, so, you know, one form of meditation is just focusing on your breath. One is open monitoring of your thoughts. And the analogy I like for that is, Imagine you're sitting on a park bench and you're watching traffic go past. And every time you see a red car, that is your worst fear or your biggest anxiety. But what you're doing in this kind of open monitoring is saying, okay, I can see that there's a red car. And for me, you know, let's say the emotion associated with a red car is anger. Um, But that doesn't mean I'm an angry person. That doesn't mean I have to submit to the feelings of anger all the time. And so it's really about balance because we do have to feel our emotions. We can't just, you know, throw them, repress them or shut them away. But there should be a range of how you feel your emotions. So if something bad happens, you can feel sad. If something, you know, triggers you, you can feel angry, but you mustn't be become so angry that it kind of, you know, destabilizes your nervous system and makes you really stressed. Um, And you mustn't spend, you know, I have a rule with myself, which is that I give myself two days to feel sad about something really bad. And then I, I've trained myself to just like, let my resilience pick me up. And like everyone, I think in the last 15 months, that has been seriously challenged at times. And sometimes it's, it has taken me more than two days um, now, but then I think, well, but that's okay. It's better to really feel the emotion and then move through it than to like, 
kind of try to hide it away and then get whatever you know negative consequences of that that can cause to your health I, I think I feel um, I do everything right you know I have this I, I do my meditation I do my affirmations everything and but I was like oh, the brain is not working it's like it's insane brain fog and I gave birth uh, over a year ago and it's mm-hmm. been so stressful with corona and baby and <clears throat> everything on the same time breastfeeding and mm-hmm. 40 employees you know all this responsibility so I got incredibly deeply stressed not on the outside I looked like I was dealing really well but I was so worried deep down and my brain just fogged out completely even though I ate the perfect salads the celery juice in the morning you know all the Mm. supplements I had done everything and then I just found out I got like this SIBO like um it's small bacterial overgrowth in the small intestine Mm -hmm. and so my gut bacteria is like whacked off completely I don't have any good bacteria left just bad ones so it seems like even though I think really positively it's like I can't really do anything more unless my gut is also healing yeah what what is that all about well what this comes down to is that This is one of the things I say, okay, do all those good things, drink water, eat healthy, sleep enough, exercise, meditate, but don't get stressed about it because stress is the thing that will kill you in the end. It kills brain cells, it kills gut bacteria. And, you know, what we've seen in the last 15 months is that everybody is now chronically, it's like low grade chronic stress. We can't make the pandemic go away. We can't make the fact that we have to get locked down go away. We can't, you know, things like we haven't been able to hug. I haven't been able to hug my stepson for most of the last 15 months or my friends or even really see my friends. So that is extremely stressful. Um, do you, I don't want to get, make it a personal consultation, but yeah. do you take probiotics and eat fermented foods as well? So that is like the things I can't do because of the SIBO. So the, the small uh, yeah. intestinal bacterial overgrowth, they like the bad bacteria grow if, the, if I eat fermented foods and prebiotic, you know? So first yeah. I have to get rid of them. So I've been on yeah. antibiotics, you know, yeah. uh, herbs and oils and, you know, essential oils and this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then soon now I can start to build up again, but it will take some yeah. time. And also I have my doctors that you have, you have no good bacteria, even like the E. coli, like the ones you need to have, like the, yeah. the, the fundament, you know, I don't have yeah. one strain. <laughs> Oh. I got this uh, German um, medicines like they they uh, order it especially for me you know mm. to build it up so I th- think it will take some time but I need to make some space for the healing to happen because it, it is extremely frustrating to have this brain fog and, and not be able to think to remember and still lead on the, all these people and care about my child and even though I, I try so hard to think positive it's like it's not it's not working you know because <laughs> So, I mean, just for for everybody in general, let's just clarify that stress, antibiotics and processed food and alcohol are big killers of gut bacteria. Um, Stress, I think, being the biggest one. And all the things that we normally talk about, like exercise, even meditation, eating, you know, leafy greens and also like a rainbow of of vegetables, um, sleep all of the usual things they all affect your gut bacteria in a positive way as well or you know or negative if people are eating like processed meat and um not sleeping and things like that so 
um, where was I going with this? Oh yeah. So the, the po think positive thing, what I've learned is although there's a Buddhist philosophy that says replace every negative thought with a positive thought, and there's a lot of cognitive science that backs up positive affirmations. I even heard someone say the other day that if you have two plants in separate rooms and every day you say to one of those plants, you're stupid, you're bad, you'll never grow. Um, and to the other plant, you say, you're beautiful, you're growing, you're gonna be so amazing. That actually the plant that you speak bad words to dies. Wow. And this was on a workshop that I was running and somebody in the chat said, we should name our plants after ourselves because then when we say to the plant, you're so beautiful and you're growing, then you're actually saying it to yourself as well, which is really nice. Um, but, the, but the positive affirmation can't be like an extreme opposite that's a bit delusional. It can't be impossible. You must believe it. So rather than sort of saying something like, you know, I'm not stressed or I won't get stressed, or, you know, I can be a super mom and run a cafe chain and, you know, the podcast and everything. It's a slightly subtler statement, like, um, you know, I will, my resilience will help me to fully recover. That can maybe be more effective than some of the affirmations that people use, which are just too, you know, too sort of like positive, but kind of not real. Totally. That when you just said that, I just wanted to write it down. I was like, wow, that gives me, it's like a mature woman saying that inside of me. If, if I was like, I am able to, to build resilience, you know, and to heal myself, the time I need is, I will give myself that. Just that makes the stress ease, you know? It's like, ah, oh, because- in There's the another exercise that actually I think you should do, <clears throat> which is, um, it's very, very powerful. So you sit or stand somewhere where you have some space in front of you and you imagine that yourself seven years in the future, so you aged 36, um, is standing opposite you and you ask your future self a question. Like, and it could be really specific, like how am I going to get my gut microbiome better, you know, sort of better again, flourishing again. And then, so you ask the question out loud and then you walk seven steps forward and you turn around and then you say, I am now Tiril, age 36, looking at myself when I was 29, who's just asked me this question. And then you say the answer and just go from your gut. Don't even think, say the answer to your 29 year old self. And when I did this once, it's going to make me cry now. I cried because, you know, the answer was so powerful and it came from me. That was also very powerful that I didn't have to ask someone else. I didn't have to get advice or get lots of opinions and feel confused. I knew the answer, but because of the brain fog and the stress and everything that was going on in my life at the time, I couldn't logically find that answer. And so that exercise is called creative mentoring. It's usually, you can call a committee, like, you know, you can call like a historical character or a famous person that you admire or like a grandparent that's passed away or something and you can ask their advice but I find this asking yourself seven years in the future is really really powerful so actually what we're doing is building up ourselves because we have been trained to build external life we our beliefs are 
coming from external advisors, you know, the experts, the books, you know, and if we are sad, we're like, we, we want to fix it, you know, at once. But it seems like the what we're talking about is actually building up our inner life that we are enough, we know. And also that's maybe why you called your book the source, because we are the source for us. And I feel that is what we're really missing. We're not missing the house and we can do that too, but we're really missing to trust ourselves. Yeah. And that is actually just a habit to build that trust up again. Because when we were like my daughter, Molly, she's like, she's completely in her soul and she knows exactly what she wants. So that's natural state. Yeah. So it's not something that we have to put on, you know, and get. It's more like uncovering and remembering that mm. It's also very quiet. Also the affirmation you said, just that building resilience and I have time to do that is is very peaceful and quiet and mature. And also a lot of this law of attraction, go for it, positive energy yeah. <laughs> can also be like this high paced, instant gratification uh, story that we are so like, oh, we need it immediately. But I think it's time for everybody to... To, to give ourselves some space to um, to feel that stillness, which can be also the doorway to that source of information, which is actually a, a different kind of tune, a different kind of voice. It's not that, oh, I want that cookie. Oh, I want to have more, more money. Oh, da, 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 da. but more, hmm, this is nice. You know, this is what I feel. It will all be good. Okay, let's just take one day at a time. And that is uh, something that I'm, training myself to do right now because it's super frustrating to be in a situation like this but I can't mm. fix it to by by forcing it I can only do what I need to do take the actions I can take but most of it is actually just relaxing and letting the body heal itself yeah. and to trust that again that yes we we can heal ourselves we are the source of what we need and of course medications and herbs and all this is good but it has to be balanced with working as you said physically with our brains yeah I think one of the most popular sort of set of posts I did on Instagram in the last year were about resetting your nervous system and I you know I did ask around from for you know my friends who I trust and the the friend who's a yoga teacher and integrated health practitioner said people should be doing a lot of forward folds and holding them because that puts you into the parasympathetic rest and digest state. Um, so actually, you know, one of the things I do as soon as I wake up is it, like instill in my bed, I go into child's pose. Um, and what she said something else really funny to me that might resonate with you because of Molly, which is that she said, when children are upset, they, you know, they throw themselves to the ground and we say, what are you doing? Get up. And she said, they're grounding themselves. And, and we're telling them not to, but actually, you know, sometimes we should maybe, you know, walk barefoot or hug a tree or just lie on the ground um, and look at a bird or something um, to, to actually ground ourselves. I think we're so, and myself included, and even though I've, I've had an insight about this a couple of years ago, I still go back to doing the same thing, which is busy doing, working all the time. You know, how, how often do you spend any time actually doing nothing? like hardly ever at all exactly and that's why it's so nice when you say you leave space on your action board because that's like a reminder that wow there is so much in not doing and not knowing and grasping and dreaming there's 
being. And also you said this on your other podcast interviews that we have been so, have you seen the, uh, the movie Lucy with Scarlett Johansson? Yes, yeah. Yeah, and they speak about this, like we are so busy doing that, how we've forgotten about being. And mm. actually from being, maybe we create even beautiful, more beautiful dreams, you know? And we get different dreams, you know, maybe dreams that are closer to our heart that is more quiet and, and even more powerful. That is more maybe also connected to compassion, empathy, and want to help others. And, you know, also appreciating where we are right now, because many of our dreams has actually been confirmed. It is here. So yeah, that, yeah that's so that true. space on the action board can also be to enjoy what we have created. So it's not like a goal in the future life we're living, but actually a beautiful journey. So there's so many things that you've said that I want to agree with. I'm just going to pick up the one that I don't agree with because I don't want to forget to say this, but you very briefly and briefly in passing, you used a phrase, I am enough. I don't actually like that phrase because that is, that's too small. If you understand about neuroplasticity and what each of us are capable of with our brains, like how much potential we have enough doesn't cover it. We are way more than enough. We are capable of so much more than we believe. And that's, that's my, the passion, you know, that's what I want people to understand that if you really understand how your brain works, but in a simple way, you can be so, you can achieve so much more than you think you can. And, but you picked up on something that I think is super important, which is we're so busy trying to achieve things. You know, I want to be this, I want to have that we never really stop to say that we've achieved some of those things, you know? So that's why I, you know, I love gratitude lists, but I also say make a list of accomplishments. Um, there's, there's lots of people out there, you know, I, one example is a professor at, you know, the best university in the world once said to her girlfriends, I just want to have a voice. And they were like, are you insane? You're like a tenured professor at the best university in the world. You have a voice. Um, you know, and I, I sometimes find, Myself thinking th things like, you know, I, I want to be like a good wife and successful and a good stepmom. And then sometimes I'm like, Tara, you are those things. You know, you just have to stop always fighting for something that you thought you wanted to be, but you've never actually said, yeah, I did that. You know, um, even like for so long, I would say I'm not a writer. And I had to actually do some mirror work to really tell myself off and say, your book is like a bestseller and an award winner and it's in 36 languages. You can't keep saying I'm not a writer. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, sort of journaling and focusing on those accomplishments is really important. And imagine attracting from that point, you know, it's so much more potent. It's like, it just comes in. That's that's kind of the mature way of, of, of law of attraction is just being it, you know, and of course, playing around with collage and having the, I mean, I mean, images that you get in the front of your eyes a lot, as you say, is a great reminder, you know, we need it to support that, but making that space to be grateful right now and like, wow, this is me right now. I'm really, really happy, you know, with all that I have accomplished. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but it's so beautiful. <sighs> and actually, my, my husband is not, you know, he's not into spiritual things and kind of, you know, vision boards or anything like that. But we've been together now for like five and a half years. And I said something the other day about something I'd manifested or there's been a few stories recently. 
And I said, you know, do you, like, aren't you like so wowed by the fact that, you know, the power of the mind over the body, like how many things you can even change in your health and your healing and everything. And he said, if you'd said this to me five years ago, I would have thought it's just nonsense. But he said, because I've seen the things that you do, the things that you've changed, the things that you've manifested, I, I have to agree with you. And he honestly, he's really like, he would have been a very skeptical person. So I do believe that leadership, if you want to call it that, is very much like demonstrating role modeling to people the things that you do and the, and the you know success or positivity that that brings rather than telling people um you know this is what you should do or like you said sort of going to experts I think it's more like if people see something inspiring then they're much more likely to to make a change in their life maybe that's something also you work with leaders top top leaders and CEOs all over the world and I guess you focus, this is my, what I think, but that you focus a lot on these things because when you really, you do your personal growth, you do wake up inside and take responsibility for your thoughts and feelings. We are, we become actually leaders. And I feel I, I do that. Like I started my therapy when I was 18. I like my education was coaching and therapy. I, I have not, no other education <laughs> because that's how that's my leadership education you know to know myself mm. and that's how I, I I lead and I use my intuition you know all the time do you do that with these leaders that you you coach yeah I mean you're so, you're you're like us I'm going to call you an owl I'm going to give you spirit animal owl because you're so wise you're only 29 but you're like wiser than a lot of leaders that I work with um I, even though I, you know, I teach at a business school, um, I always say leadership is about leading your life, leading your family, wherever you are in the family dynamic. Um, and, you know, anything else that you do, like a sports community or your community, a religious community, um, as well as leading a business potentially. And so I actually do a lot of work with leaders on the neuroplasticity process of building up empathy and intuition as part of their leadership because there's so much um bias towards being logical and analytical and you know things making sense and being based on facts and data and in business and leadership particularly talking about things like emotions and intuition is like not really okay um and I really help people to understand and and as you get you know wiser and more senior leaders they they get the intuition piece definitely um but there's a lot of people who are you know hoping to get into that next level of leadership that would be afraid to say I made that decision based on my intuition um and I think people like you and I saying I use my intuition I've been in therapy I've had coaching that breaks down some boundaries it's not boundaries breaks down some barriers for people about being ashamed to say those things Um, so I think that's really, really, that's to me actually is true leadership. Yeah. And not to know my weak, my weaknesses and my strengths, you know, to really, to be open about it, my failures, my weaknesses, but I'm not less worthy or I'm more than capable of leading, but I'm also human. And having totally. that. Yeah. You've reminded me, I went to this conference in Oslo And it was a women in leadership conference, but they did something really cool, which was they invited 10% of the audience to be men, because that's normally what it's like for us women in, in like, you know, senior business and leadership, you're likely to be like in the 10% of, of women and everybody else is male. And 
actually one of the guys I was coaching volunteered to be one of the men that came to that conference. I was so proud of him. And this woman who was very, very senior and successful, she stood up and talked about failure. And she said, every time I fail at something, I say, good, I failed. And, you know, what I think about failure or just, you know, trying different things is, or, or something bad happening is there's got to be something to be learned from this. As long as you learn something, um, there's a meaning to everything that happens. And I think that is an easier thing for people to understand who are into intuition and things like that as well. You know, it's sort of this whole bigger field of metacognition, which is thinking about your thinking a little bit like we talked about open monitoring of your thoughts, meta-awareness, which is just, you know, sort of understanding that there's quite a lot beyond what we can see and what we understand through science. Um, I was very lucky. I got to have a, a one hour conversation with Deepak Chopra. And so I, you know, I learned a lot more about this kind of thing just in one conversation with him. Wow. I think we are on the threshold, as you say, um, on something big now, something huge, a shift. And shifts and transitions are not always easy and they can be very stressful. But then it's nice to step forward seven years and look back and, and assist ourselves because I don't believe in there's a straight timeline and maybe everything is happening on the same time. So why not use all of the information we can get? <laughs> wow, we could have a whole conversation about that. I'm so <laughs> interested in the, the construct of time. You know? and, and actually, I was just thinking that I think, I think the only two cultures that I know of that are really big into mythology are Nordic mythology and Hindu mythology. And, and mythology is, you know, it's a metaphor or an analogy for things that happen in real life. And I feel like, um, you know, we have this other joke because um, my my friend who who came to stay, she was coming. So I sent an invitation to my colleagues in Norway for my book launch party in the UK. And they got to, they literally got together and had a meeting and said, one of us has to go. We're too busy. So we're basically nominating you. And, and she was the person I knew the least well, so she said, I'm going to come to London, stay in a hotel, come to your party on the Monday. And I said, well, we won't be in London because we have a house in the countryside. So you're welcome to come and stay with us. She apparently went back to the chairman and said, Tara's invited me to stay with them, but I don't know if she means it because that's not very Norwegian to like suddenly invite someone into your home that you hardly know. And he said to her, if Tara said it, she means it. So she came to stay with us and we had such a great time. And she kept saying that she'd heard about how jovial my husband was. And she said, because I heard that you're this really jovial guy, I thought you'd be like short and, and chubby and sort of, you know, dark. And she said, but you look like a Viking. And so we have this joke where, you know, I sort of tease my husband and say, you look like a Viking. But I think going back to some of those Viking qualities, you know, like living with the land, hunting, foraging, um, being in tune with nature and the seasons and things like that is I think that's a good place to start. And maybe that's something that will resonate with your followers because that's their culture. Um, and I actually remember my, my half Swedish friend when I was getting divorced and I was literally like crying on the floor. And she said to me, you've, you know, you've got to be a Viking and you know, you've got to pick yourself up and be resilient and, and kind of like move forward. So I think there's a lot to that word that whatever it means to people, about resilience or kind of, you know, living in harmony is, is really important. of nature. It's this core, it's a remembering of, it's like 
if everything is happening at the same time, these forces are still available, you know? Maybe they are forgotten in our time because we're so busy, but they're still alive. Also, our ancestors have these powers. So we can actually tap into it and let it grow inside of us. And to become yeah. that in this time, we, we need Vikings with deep roots now. Totally. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for um, bringing all these personal stories to the surface to share thank with us. You. And telling us so much about the brain and everything and leadership and gut bacteria is a good mix. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and tusen tack. Oh, varsågod. Tack selv. <laughs>